When cancer enters your life, things get real very quickly. Family and friends can be your most vital supporters when you're diagnosed with cancer and going through treatment, but your relationships with loved ones can also be strained by this stressful experience. Just when you most need their unstinting support, your loved ones are also dealing with the extreme uncertainty created by a cancer diagnosis, and this may make it hard to provide the support that is needed. The fear experienced by everybody affected by a cancer diagnosis can strengthen some bonds and fray others. What happens when treatment undertaken in an attempt to extend your life ends up making you feel alienated from your community? How do you deal with the loss of pleasure and connection to the feeling of well-being that makes life worth living? I'm Diane McDaniel, and this is Real Cancer. In today's episode, I talk with Liz Gannam, writer and middle school teacher. Liz was treated twice in 2000 and again in 2013 for two different breast cancers. Together we explore our experiences with support from family and friends, as well as the challenges of being in social situations during this time. We conclude with a discussion of some of the strategies that helped us to navigate this tricky time. Thank you, Liz, for joining me today um, to record an episode of Real Cancer. Um, Before we delve into the topic of uh, support from family and friends um, and the role that they play in relation to cancer, I'd like to have you tell me a bit about your journey. Sure, yeah, and thanks for having me. It's very exciting to be a part of this. Uh, So my first cancer diagnosis happened, uh, came about two weeks after I found out that I was pregnant in 2006. And it was definitely a whirlwind of information and great amounts of fear because being pregnant and also getting this diagnosis. Uh, And then I had a separate incident of cancer. An incident sounds kind of like a funny word. Uh, It sounds a a little bit like it's not that uh, that grave. No, it's just a little minor inconvenience. No, I had a second bout of cancer, a breast cancer, again, not a recurrence, in uh, 2013, 2014. And it was, you know, a lot to take in, of course. And uh, certainly the second time around, when you thought you could do it, you had everything. I've done this before, I'm sure. I'm going to be able to handle it. Right. Uh, it definitely was not what I thought. <laughs> I did not think it was, it did not go as well as I thought it was going to go, which sounds ridiculous when yeah. I say that. But you had a perception that you had done it once and that you knew what it was about. You were kind of experienced. Exactly. And uh, you were going to be able to manage your way through it easily. Right. And I think that comes down to it's you never, every single type of cancer is so different and it's treated so differently. Even I have breast cancer twice and each one of those in my body was treated completely differently. Mm. Of course, one time my being pregnant certainly had something to do with it. And I feel like it's always tricky when somebody asks you for advice 
because you know that it's so different. It's almost like when you're pregnant, asking somebody for advice about what do I do as a pregnant person, and every single pregnancy is so different. Right, that's true, absolutely. Well, um, thank you for just giving us a, a, a sketch of uh, your specific situation, which um, is a, a unique, uh, certainly. Uh, certainly people have multiple bouts of cancer, unfortunately, um, but to have two breast cancers, um, separate breast cancers, is, um, is, is a unique story as far as I, I know. Um, so uh, today we're going to talk about, um, you know, the kind of the big topic is supportive family and friends, and of course, learning about uh, that you do have cancer is a, a very intense experience, um, and we can talk about that a little bit. But and you need the support of uh, of your family and friends during that time. Um, which can sometimes be hard for them to give because um, they're going through a lot at the same time as well. Um, talking to your family, telling your family that you have cancer is uh, a pretty intense experience in itself. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about that, the kind of reactions that you had and how you dealt with them and you know what was what was hard? Yeah, sure. I. I, I kind of want to laugh about this, which seems incredibly dark and sick and twisted, because I I handled it so poorly the first time. I called my mom, and I literally asked her, are you sitting down? <laughs> which is the worst thing to say to your mother about anything. And uh, I didn't handle that very well. I also remember calling my boss and thinking as I was dialing, I could, I, I'm just going to tell her, I'm just going to say, I was just diagnosed with breast cancer and completely losing it on the phone, crying. Mm. My boss is a wonderful woman, but she also kind of was like, I could tell that she was very worried about my well-being, my mental state of being. Um, and so... One of, and then this really crazy kind of thing happened with me with two of my really close girlfriends. I called them to talk to them, and their husbands ended up answering the phone because they were out that right. evening when I called, Yeah, just by a weird fluke and a weird coincidence. So their husbands then had to impart this information to them, oh. which I actually think was probably the best scenario because... It was, I wanted to be able to tell them right. in person. And one lives in Chicago, the other lives in Connecticut. And, you know, since we're in LA, it's pretty impossible to tell them in person. But uh, knowing that a loved one was there to talk to them about it. Mm -hmm. and, that they would have some support yeah, when they received it. Yeah, news. it was almost as if there was a little tendril of me over there telling them what was going on. Um, and I also remember the first time I had cancer sitting down with my students and telling them that I was going to be fine and that it was all going to be okay. And I was teaching eighth grade at the time. And uh, I think that they felt so reassured by that. I remember a mom of one of my students saying to me that her son was just 
so grateful that I was willing to do that. I'm sure that's not the word he used, but uh, he felt that I was going to be okay. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that that's kind of teaching them something, a really important life skill. At some point, they're going to get some bad news as an adult, unfortunately. And if they've seen somebody handle it in just sort of a matter-of-fact kind of way... Right. So I, I had I ran the gamut. Right, you did. <laughs> I did. I did. I did completely the stupidest thing, and then. So why did you feel that was? I, I'm I'm intrigued by that idea that that you should not say to your mother, "Are you sitting down?" Is oh, it because it uh, it what? I mean, you're gonna tell her something horrible. <laughs> right. So. Well, her reaction was, she. I don't know. Maybe if I had told her a different way, she would have reacted the same way, but. She immediately went into hysteria. What? What is it? Oh my God! What is it? Oh, I see. You yeah. By saying, um, "Sit down," it's like she got so much anticipatory anxiety. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 She's a little dramatic sometimes. So. Yeah. There's probably nothing you could do about that. Probably not. You're right. You're right. But then the second time, it was. Um, we sent an email out to all of our friends and that was really very therapeutic for me to actually write that email and to imbue it with humor and just you know facts about how it was going to go as much as we knew and because as you know in the beginning you really don't have a lot of answers about exactly what course of treatment you're going to take or anything because they're still waiting for pathology reports and whatnot right so that felt great to get the news out that way and people could respond which you know people want to reach out it gave them that venue to reach out so it was kind of like you didn't really have to um, deal with people's reaction yourself um, because you could send it out, they could have their reaction, basically, hopefully with the support of somebody around them, and then they could come back to you, not in such an, um, a, a, you know, a, a raw way. Right. They could come back to you a little more processed and, right. and be supportive. It's true. I didn't anticipate that at all. I certainly wasn't planning on that working to my benefit in that way I just really wanted to inform people right and I have to go back to one other scenario with the first breast cancer Um, my really close friend Denise was we had already scheduled that she was coming over for dinner the night that I found out Mm -hmm. and I didn't want to cancel she lives in Hollywood she was making the drive over to our house and she's the kind of... I love that care of somebody. Like, they've gone through traffic. <laughs> I have breast cancer, but they've gone through traffic. <laughs> so true. Well, that's what you do, right? You don't want to inconvenience people. Even in that moment, I was still thinking, oh, gosh. Anyway, she came over, and, and she stood before me, and I said, look, I have to talk to you about what's going on. She knew I was pregnant, too. And I said... Uh, I just found out today that I have breast cancer. And she, she's just such a wonderful, wonderful person. She stood there. She didn't have a look of fear on her face. She didn't cry. And I don't think she 
was trying to hold herself together in any way. I think that's just who she is. She just looked at me and she just had a very grounded, calm look on her face and said, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. What does this mean? Right. And so then we... Because there's so much to that. Exactly. The pregnancy and the treatment and the everything. Right. And, And so then that just gave me an opportunity to kind of talk through it with her. And Brian, my husband, was there too. And we just chatted about it. And it wasn't... I, I can't explain it, but she was the absolute right person. Her reaction. For her to come to our house for dinner that night, it was just what we all needed. Because otherwise, we, the two of us would probably just been a mess, like wallowing in this. And yet, and here was Denise, and we could talk to her. And then we were talking about something else and having a delicious meal together. And Right. I was very amazing that that worked out the way it did yeah yeah I I I kind of don't really remember um too much about telling people that I like my family members and close friends that I had cancer because I found out when I had the surgery and I was on a lot of uh, morphine (laughs) a lot of drugs and so that time is and I was in a lot of pain so that time is really um kind of obscured in my in my mind I don't really remember it too well but I do remember I came home um, from the hospital and one of uh, my son Dexter's uh, friends was over and his mom came to uh, pick him up and so I just thought I should tell her what's going on with me so she came upstairs to my bedroom and I, I told her that I had ovarian cancer and she burst into tears and I remember just thinking to myself oh no now I'm now I have to take care of you. And um, it, it can be very difficult to know who's taking care of right. whom at that time. Um, and so it can really be all over the place mm-hmm. um, in terms of that. I think we talked about the experience of, um, you know, everybody has different reactions. And one reaction is that people want to help. Um, what were some of the, the things that you experienced around that? Well, being a teacher, you're in a really tight-knit community of colleagues, and then you have the parent community. And so I was flooded with help, with queries for help, with gifts, flowers. I mean, the first go-around with cancer, I because I was pregnant, I think... People were freaking out, kind of. I'm, I'm sure they were. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, we received meals and everything, and it was extremely helpful. And my mom came to help out, which was de- definitely we needed that. But I remember her complaining about the flowers and oh no, another delivery of flowers. What am I going to do with these? And I just, I'm not, I don't care about that kind of stuff. If there are flowers in my house, I don't really mind. But she was, I don't know if we have enough vases for these. And, <laughs> and oh, great, more bread. You don't have any room in the freezer for the bread. And, and I just thought, I, I just didn't even, I didn't mind. But she she was trying to to make things tidy. Mm-hmm. And, oh uh, yeah. As your whole life was kind of in chaos, cancer, pregnancy. Right. right. I'm sure for her it was something that she could control. She could try to control, uh, and to just 
temper it and create some sort of calm, I guess. Uh, yeah, I don't. Some, I don't know. Some it, kind I, of order. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to get all this bread in the freezer. <laughs> I've got to find vases for all I these just flowers. Remember, I remember her. There was a, somebody brought over like three baguettes. <laughs> there, my husband and I, and then the unborn child and my mother. That that's it. We yeah. didn't even have a dog at this time. Nothing. And so she was trying to figure out how she could fit the baguette into Ziploc bags so right. that she could put them in the freezer. Right. So funny. <laughs> but um, it, it, I, you know, being raised by parents who were raised in very Catholic upbringings, I felt very guilty mm. about the amount of help. And I don't know why I immediately went there. And I think it has to do with that moment you were describing when your friend broke, burst into tears. Right. I don't know. You just, you don't want anyone to have to do anything. Yeah. Right? And uh, you're doing okay. You're fine. You've got things under control, sort of. Yeah. But, um, and then there comes a time when people were bringing food for two adults and one child the second time I had cancer. And this is going to sound horrible, but they would bring so much food and I couldn't eat any of it. I mean, I could eat none of it. Not even, you know, you'd think you bring mashed potatoes and steak and I can eat something. Nothing. Right. And so... Because you felt nauseous or... um, It was definitely the nausea, but it was also my... It was just how things tasted in my mouth. I think you had written once about something tasted like sawdust, and I feel like that's the best description. It's... it just felt like I was licking a carpet or something. I mean, it did not taste, and I wasn't even really hungry either. Right. Um, and there was, you know, then I also didn't want to let my husband down because he was very upset that I wasn't eating. Right. Uh, he was really nice about it. He wasn't mean about it. But right. Right. I think that I understood this overwhelming response from people. Of course. They wanted to help. And I would do the same thing as well. I did something recently for a friend who had breast cancer or myself. Uh, but you just want to tell people it's okay. You don't need to do this. Yeah, I think everybody kind of goes into um, survival mode almost. And they want to bring food because you need to eat. And, uh, yeah, I... I experience that you and I talked about just uh, people dropping off chicken and just having way way too much chicken and and you told me you still can't eat chicken I can eat chicken again but um, yeah for a while there the smell of a chicken was just like I could not deal with it because so many roast chickens had come to my house right Um, I think it it is interesting how everybody really has the same response they really kind of tune into you need food mm-hmm. um, because food is going to help you survive right well it makes sense though because if you think about when you're not well you you want that comforting food they call it comfort food for a reason right it helps you feel better i remember being a little girl and having campbell's chicken noodle soup with ginger ale when i was sick and that was that always made me feel better yeah that's right um yeah, so I think that uh, you talked about how you felt a little bit 
guilty about accepting help. I, I didn't really have that so much that I sort of just felt like I was being overwhelmed by people's offers of help and I had to somehow manage all of the help that they wanted. And I just sort of, I said to people, look, I'm, I will ask you if I need your help. I will come to you and I will um, ask you, you can tell me that you can't do it if you can't, but um, I promise you I will ask. And so I did that. I, I asked people for uh, rides when I needed um, to get to back from the hospital after procedure or something. Um, and I asked people for help in other ways. Um, but I, yeah, I found it to be kind of overwhelming to be receiving all this help, not just, not because I didn't feel like um, I was worthy of it or that um, I would owe something, but just because I just felt like, I don't know what to do with all these offers of help. It's too much. I don't need all that help at this right. moment. I'm actually managing okay. Um, right. Maybe there's a new occupation out there. It's chemo managers. I'm, I'm sure somebody does that. I bet they do. <laughs> yes. um, the other thing that uh, I found that sometimes was difficult to deal with was people would say to me a couple of different things. Um, oh, I know somebody who had cancer and you know they're still alive after five years. And I would think, five years? Like, what are you talking about? Like, don't tell me your five-year story. That didn't help me at all. Right. Um, and also people telling me kind of like statistics about, um, about cancer. And, and again, kind of this five-year, ten-year thing. And, and I felt like I'm, I'm going to live a lot longer than that. You're right. not, you know, that's not helping me. That's making me feel panicked. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Did you experience anything like that? Um, well, I think... So the first time I had cancer, I didn't want to hear anybody's advice. Yeah. I distinctly remember a colleague saying that her sister had had breast cancer. She gave me the number. She said she's dying to talk to you. Not dying to talk to you, but she's more than happy to talk to you. And I never called her. Yeah. But that, I believe, had a lot to do with the fact that I was also pregnant. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember working with... A, there was a tutor who was working with one of my students, and she suggested getting uh, acupuncture. Mm -hmm. And she also suggested smoking pot. And I said, I'm not going to smoke pot because I'm pregnant. And you could just see the look on her face, this almost horror, you know. Because she didn't know you were pregnant? She didn't know I was pregnant. Yeah. And um, so did you, you must have dealt with a lot of kind of almost social censure for having you know cancer while you were pregnant yeah yeah there was a, a lot of that and um I, I just tried to ignore it as much as I could right and really honestly the pregnancy was a huge buoy during the time because when you go to the doctor you know how many times you go to the doctor right well, there were times when we went to the doctor and all we did was talk about the baby. Yeah. And it was so refreshing. Yeah. And you would just see that little heartbeat on the screen. And I just, we like, we were huddled together and we were so excited. And 
And I'm grateful for that. I'm very grateful that I was pregnant because it was so hopeful. But um, going back to your question, uh, I did research the first time, which was horrible because any research about breast cancer, there's probably 3% of it that has to do with pregnancy during chemotherapy. And the studies that were done showed the children were normal 10 years after they were. And I was like, I don't care about 10 years. I want to know about 30 years after they had chemo. I want to know about 50. I mean, 10 years, that's not really helping me out. And that was a huge fear of both of ours that something was going to manifest. Right somewhere along the line in our little boy yeah and i still it's still a fear i'm sure but um and then the second time no one was really giving me advice because i would already done it so that's right you're the expert (laughs) you knew more than anybody else sadly yeah so um you know, we were going to talk a little bit about some of the different social situations. So definitely the pregnancy during um, cancer is one of them. And I think also you touched on this not explicitly, but just kind of a, a feeling of separateness from others, a, a little bit of alienation. Um, I know that we talked a little bit about sort of the loss of pleasure mm-hmm. that comes along with um cancer diagnosis and makes you feel very separate and almost a loss of community because you just feel so different than everybody else yeah I feel like I feel like it also has to do with such a loss of self with who you are you have no you have very little control over the day really if you get up I distinctly remember getting up one day and I was like, God damn it, I'm going to go plant some flowers. Mm -hmm. And I had the potting soil. And this is something I do all the time. Well, not anymore, but I used to. And in the middle of it, I was sheerly exhausted. I had to stop and sit down. And then I thought, well, if I get a lawn chair and I put it right next to the pot, I can get the stuff and put it in. And so this is just a small example of a time where I was doing something I did. This was something I liked to do, and I couldn't do it. And then that's me alone, right? So if somebody was there, it would have been even it would have been even more apparent how much I was struggling because I would have that reaction where somebody's looking at you and saying, "Oh, yikes, she can't do this," or mm. "Oh, you know." You, you look different or you're not eating that. And so then you're, you're not really your same person. And I think it has a lot to do, we were talking about this, but it has so much to do with what makes you happy, what, what, you, what things in life you derive pleasure from. Right. And eating was one of them. Yeah. It, was, it was no longer a pleasant thing to sit down for a meal and just walking around in public certainly when I was pregnant because I looked like a freak I mean I was bald and you know you have this big belly and uh so you you can't help but catch people's eye out in public and and I remember the first 
it, during that cancer treatment, I was really, I would look for the people that were looking at me weird. Mm. I mean, I would seek them out, like, and then I would give them a dirty look, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I, we went to see a Beethoven concert at the Walt Disney Hall, and this woman in front of me would not stop turning around and staring at me. Oh. So finally, I just gathered all the daggers I could in my eyeballs and I shot them right at her and she looked at me like oh she caught me (laughs) and she turned around and she did not look back at me one more time yeah um but probably you didn't compute in her brain like what no what is going on that's exactly it yeah what's going on here what is happening like I remember saying that I needed to get a t-shirt that said it's okay I know what's I know it looks bad, but it's okay. Yes, I'm in chemo and I'm pregnant. <laughs> yep. But uh, but there were things that I could derive pressure for, pleasure from, and I made sure I did those things. Like there was a prenatal yoga class, and then during the more recent cancer treatment, I did a yoga class. It it's like it's called yoga hop. And it's not really yoga. It's like hip-hop dance class meets yoga. Oh, yeah. So it wasn't for peace of mind or anything. It was, I was really going in there because I wanted to feel like a badass. Yeah. And it would I would do it right before treatment. So when you felt strongest, right. I would go in there. And um, so the little things that you do yeah. for yourself that give you sort of these small victories... I guess. Yeah, I think that's so so true for me. Um, I like to be physical. I like to be strong, and I like to go walking, bike riding, and hiking. And um, yeah, not being able to do those things to really even struggle just to walk. I couldn't. I couldn't walk up the block. Um, I couldn't. I had a really hard time walking up the stairs to my bedroom. I just was so weak, and that just really I struggled with that so much like who am I um, when I can't uh, do these do these simple things I wanted us just to talk a little bit about what some of our strategies were to help us with coping during this time Um, for me I um, although I don't remember really getting the news out to people initially like in my family that I had cancer I really wanted to uh, share than my news with people um, in my community because I just, I guess maybe I just didn't want to have all those individual conversations and have to tell people over and over that I had cancer. And I had been writing um, a blog already, and I, so I, just, I started a, a new blog that was really about my cancer experience. And so I, I sent a, I wrote a piece about having cancer and I sent it out to kind of everybody who I knew and that was um, people were surprised of course um, but I got so much support from that I got so much um, positive feedback I just had people I I think that's where all the offers of help started to come from uh, once I sent that out but also just uh, I met people who had had cancer so I was able to talk to them and mm-hmm. hear about their experiences and, and see that they were able to come out the other side and and I think the most important thing besides kind of creating community 
that the writing did for me was that it really helped me to understand what I was going through, mm-hmm. to really understand my mind mm-hmm. by putting it down in words to kind of get it concrete. And, um, you know, it allowed me to be a little bit more in touch with the sadness and the, the fear mm-hmm. that I had about what I was going through and the frustration um, because in you know my everyday life my tendency is to be more positive and um, in, in person and so it helped me to kind of round things out and, and really figure out where I was and and, right. and then looking back I have all these pieces that I wrote that really show me what I was thinking remind me because thankfully you just kind of forget about it mm-hmm. I know somewhat right and I felt like I I did a lot of writing um, during my first cancer, but I was not willing to allow myself to go anywhere where I could understand myself better. I was really shutting off from the true deep fear that I had, right. which is death. Yeah, and. I wasn't, we weren't talking about it. Brian and I, of course, never talked about that as a possibility. It's not a topic that people no. really want to talk about. No. I, I used to, I had somebody who did chemotherapy with me who was a friend. We met there and we just scheduled our chemotherapy together. And so we would have lots of conversations about mm-hmm. death. Um, but that's not a topic that anybody else wants to right. talk about. Right. Yeah, I remember saying something to somebody. She was saying, you must have such a different perspective on life now. And I said something, yeah, I, I guess so. And then I said something along the lines of, you've been given a di- diagnosis that can kill you. And she was like, oh! she had this look on her face like, oh, like, but, but and I had this moment where I thought, isn't that what we were just talking about? You know, so I, I had phrased it and I had, I had gone too honest, I guess. But, yeah. Um, I mean that it's true. Cancer kills people. Yeah. Um, but I was not willing to write about that or talk about it. I don't even know if I really thought about it. I'm sure I did, but I also uh, and so then this. So I was writing a memoir um, about that pregnancy, the one that happened when I was pregnant. And I was writing religiously. I was meeting every week with a writing partner, and she was doing a separate book, and we were helping each other. In the middle of that, my second diagnosis came along. And I just was like, why am I doing this? This book is stupid. I threw the whole project aside. Uh, But because I was writing... And I was going back to those moments in the first diagnosis, and I was going deep, and I was asking those scary questions. I think because that was already established in my brain, then I could write, and I could really write from a different place than I was writing during from in the first time. Um, so I was more, uh, you were more mature than I was, I would think. It took me a little time to get there. But, yeah, I think there's a a real significant difference uh, because in that first 
uh, treatment, you are also making life at mm-hmm. the same time. So it would be hard to really, I mean, I can see that it would be very hard to grapple with death when you're also creating a life while you're going through your treatment. Right. Yeah. Um, we talked uh, yesterday a little bit about just um, some of the, the strategies that helped us and um, you talked a little bit about how you dealt with your, your food problems by uh, just having a lot of ice cream. <laughs> Root beer floats, milkshakes, a lot of ice cream. Yes. Yeah. Well, a good friend of mine makes, I don't know what she does, she makes the best milkshake. So I would go over to her apartment and she would make me a milkshake and I would lie on her couch and we would just chat. But yeah, there were very few things I could eat and when I found them, I was that was another uh, ritual I had. I would go to that hip-hop yoga class and then I would go to the Starbucks nearby and get myself a iced caramel macchiato, which is something I would never drink. I don't really have a sweet tooth. I prefer potato chips. Right. Right. Potato chips were not working oh, at that no, time. No. Which is sad. That's another one of those pleasures that I was deprived of, but I found pleasure in other places and uh milkshakes. That was a big one. Yeah. I can't remember. What about you? What were some of your things that you ate or drank that made you really happy during chemo? I I think I I think I, I I didn't really like anything. I, I had fruit. I think that was really the only thing I could tolerate. Right, right. Well, thanks so much uh, for coming in and yeah. talking with me. Thank you today. so much for having me. Of course. Really I always love talking to you. Thanks. That's it for today's episode. Please subscribe to Real Cancer wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us via Twitter at Real Cancer Pod and email us with episode and guest ideas at realcancerpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Diane McDaniel. <laughs>